wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. I'm so glad you're listening to Bleeding Daylight today, because this is one of those episodes that has the potential to make a big difference in your life. Please share it with others and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. In just a moment, I'll introduce you to my guest. She's an incredible woman who took the time to really explore one of the essentials of life. What she's discovered might surprise you and change you forever. Kim Sorrell is an entrepreneur and the director of a humanitarian organization. She splits her time between her home in Michigan and the countries of Haiti and Dominican Republic. In a world that uses the word love to describe our connection to everything from people close to us to our favorite food or TV show, Kim decided to look more deeply into what love truly means. Her book, Love Is, tells the story of her year-long experiment of truly living out love. It's an honor to have her join me on Bleeding Daylight today. Kim, thanks so much for your time. Rodney, thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to be here. It sounds like you lead a very busy life. Before we dive into your year of discovering more about love, tell me what life truly looks like for you and for your family. Well, that's a good question. Kind of depends on the day. But uh, as an entrepreneur, I've had businesses for years, and I just now am selling uh, my last two businesses and changing direction a little bit. I work in the business world and I work on nonprofit stuff at the same time and wrote a book and have grandkids and kids and life is full and wonderful, lots of friends. It does sound like a, a very fulfilling life. Of course, I mentioned your book, Love Is. That's not the first book that you've written, is it? No, no, it's my second book. My first book is called Cry Until You Laugh. Tell us a little bit about that book. Sure. I was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years ago. First thing I did is I went to a bookstore and found out that everything was either depressing or very medical. And so I started writing because I wanted to know what it was really like to go through what I was going through. And before I knew it, 5,000 people were reading my writings every day when I did write. And then four months into my cancer journey, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away six weeks later. So I wrote uh, through all of that time. That is what Cry Until You Laugh is. It's funny and heartwarming and gives a whole lot of information about me and about dealing with cancer, dealing with being a widow and uh, all the things that happen in one year's time. It's a rather remarkable journey, and as you say, your intent was to say, this is what I'm truly living through rather than a lot of the depressing books that you were finding. It must have become more and more difficult to actually laugh through that time, to find those moments of joy. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I was recently talking to somebody about that, that there are people that you lose somebody and you almost feel guilty to laugh again. You almost feel like you're dishonoring their memory or something if you go on to live your life, if you find joy. And the way I looked at it is I would do anything to have my husband back. He was a great guy, wonderful dad, wonderful man. And I love him 
still, you know, I loved him so much, but I don't have that choice. Right. And I wouldn't have picked cancer. I wouldn't have picked being a widow at 47 years old, but that's what happened. And so now I have a choice of how I'm going to live. And I choose to choose joy and happiness and love and enjoy life. You do sound like someone who makes choices, who makes decisions. This is the way to live. And and that's what happened when you decided to, to live out love. Tell me about what made you decide to live out love for, for that year? Yeah, well, losing my husband, for whatever reason, made me question the real meaning of love. You know, you, you don't go to a bookstore and find a manual, right? And, and there's no love for dummies. You just kind of learn love from your parents, from people around you, from whoever. And not everything that we call love is love. And so I wanted to try to figure out, well, what does love really mean? What does it look like to live love? So I decided I would dedicate a year to figuring it out. I took a 2,000-year-old poem that you in the States here at a lot of weddings, it starts, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, et cetera, et cetera. And take one word at a time, one word a month, and figure out, well, what is love that is patient? What does that mean? What is love that is kind? And there are 14 words. So doing it in a year didn't quite work out with the math. So it took me longer than a year. But that's what I did is I broke it down one word at a time. As you mentioned, that particular passage or poem is used at a lot of weddings, and we seem to gloss over it, and it sounds wonderful, but it must have been very different trying to to live that out and trying to understand what it all meant. So true. It's so true. In my book, I start out with what I think it's going to be, and then I tell the story of what actually happened that brought me to discovery of what it really is. And most of the time I was in Haiti, so it's stories from Haiti some funny, some sad, you know, kind of works its way into your heart. But uh, like love is patient, right? The very first one. Well, you know what patience is. I know what patience is. It's not honking your horn if you're stuck in traffic or getting upset because you're ready to go and she's not ready to go, right? That's, That's patience. But love that is patient is something entirely different. When you take love is or love is not, and put it in front of any word, it totally changes the definition. Like I figured out that love that is patient, first of all, I believe you're supposed to love everybody. I love everybody. I I think that's the way we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do. So if you love the person that you're with, which you should, then love that is patient would tell you that this is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past. And what's in the future is yet to come. This moment right here, right now, this is your moment. This is the moment. And it's so easy to lose the moment, right? By thinking, oh, my word, I've got to stop at the store on the way home, or I've got a meeting later tonight, and not be fully engaged and fully present with the person you love who's standing right in front of you. And you lose that moment. That moment is going to come and go, whether you're in it or not in it, and To be in it is showing love. And I'll tell you, frankly, it took me a lot, a lot of practice to get to that point. 
And this is one of the reasons that I asked you to explain a little bit of your life, because it's a, a very busy life. Because some might say, well, it's all, all very well for this author who has nothing better to do than to write this book and write of experiences and, and spend that entire year. But my life is busy. And yet you're writing this in the midst of busyness, extreme busyness and of chaos, especially in that world that we know Haiti is a, a very difficult place to be and not an easy place to, to live anything out. And so you're saying that love can still be lived out amongst the busyness of our lives, amongst the chaos of our lives. And I guess that's the true test of it, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And actually, it simplifies things. It makes life easier when you really understand love and then live it. You know, I believe love is not just an emotion like like fear, or joy, you know, whatever. But it's a living, breathing, walking, talking way of life. It is um, all encompassing. It's if if you love, you have complete freedom, just complete freedom, because you're free to just love people. There's no judgment or condemnation in love. It allows people to be who they are, realizing that you have no control over that. And all you're supposed to do is love. And so it's really freeing. As you're taking what's written in in these words before you of what love is and what love isn't, as you're living each of these principles out through a, a month at a time over this year and a bit, tell me what was the, the thing that was most difficult for you to come to terms with? What was the aspect of love you found it most difficult to live well, one of the aspects is love keeps no record of wrongs. And I thought, man, that I figured would be a tough one because you don't forget things, right? I mean, you hear forgive and forget, whatever, but we've all been wronged. And what does it mean? You know, how can you live with these rainbows and unicorns kind of love, you know, which I figured out love is not just rainbows and unicorns. So love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So I happened to be uh, with a group of men, eight men from the States, mostly pastors. And we were going to a remote area in Haiti. And I brought along two of my Haitian friends to translate who also were men. So there were eight men from the U.S., two men from Haiti and me. And we got to where we were staying and it was a small building with two rooms, and there were four twin-size beds in each room. So we get there, and we're unpacking, and the head guy of their guys, who invited me along because they wanted to see a water project that I was working on to see if it was something they wanted to get involved with. So the head guy pulls me over, Kim, Kim, come here, come here. So I said, yeah. And he said, did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, buddy, there's nothing else to see. You know, it's just two little rooms. But and then I realized, oh, he's going to think that I'm going to want my own room because I'm the only woman here. And I'm going to say to so if I say to him, it's OK, I'll sleep outside. Then he'll say, oh, no, no. If anybody should sleep inside, it should be you. And then I'll say, well, I don't care if there's men in my room. And then he'll go good because there's only so many beds. So I said, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, oh, good, good. That's such a relief. He said, there are men here that would be very uncomfortable with a woman in their room. 
And I'm thinking, well, what do they think is going to happen in the dead of night with a bunch of people sleeping in beds? I don't know. But so I started looking around to figure out where I was going to sleep. And I saw a piece of plywood. And then there were two sort of Haitian workhorses that I could put the plywood over. So at least if it rained, I'd be under a cover. And we did bring an air mattress along. And so I used the air mattress. In going to bed, I was nervous about tarantulas and snakes, chupacabras. <laughs> I don't know whatever was roaming the streets, whatever could be around. And I'm not a big fan of spiders or snakes, I got to say. And I was worried about something crawling on me in the night and wondering, gosh, you know, what if something bites me? Is there anti-venom around? Am I going to have to be airlifted to Miami? You know, what is going to happen? The first night I crawled into bed on the air mattress that held air for about the first hour. And it was so loud. There were dogs barking and horns honking. And it was so loud. Finally, it died down at midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. The voodoo drums started in the distance and went for a couple hours. And so finally, like five o'clock in the morning or so, I was able to really get some sleep just for a couple hours. So first night came and went with no incident, you know, all was well. I didn't get a lot of sleep, but it was good. Well, the second night, still the dogs and the horns and the voodoo drums. And then finally, I'm drifting off to sleep. And when I was sleeping, I woke up because there was something on my leg. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what could that be? I was so afraid. And so I slowly lifted my head, slowly opened my eyes. I didn't want to jerk and have something bite me. And so I slowly opened my eyes and looked, and it was a chicken. There was a chicken on my leg. And I didn't know whether to be mad that this chicken woke me up or happy that it wasn't a tarantula. You know, I, I wasn't sure what my emotion should be, but I shoot it away, and away it went. The third night was like the first night, nothing happened. The fourth night, again, the dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums, etc. I'm finally sleeping. And again, I get woken up because again, there's something on my leg. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is it this time? And I slowly opened my eyes to see the same chicken was on my leg again. And Again, I didn't know whether to be grateful or angry, but I shoot it away. We we did have chicken that night for dinner. So my fifth night there was, uh, again, without incident. I was a little bitter, to be honest. You know, I had a great time that week, and they did end up getting involved in the water project. I was so happy about that. So good things came from the trip. But I thought, man, that's not how you treat somebody. You know, I hope my sons wouldn't treat somebody like that. And I'm all about equality and whatever, but but I am a woman, you know, even so. And so I was a little bitter. I was a little upset. And I was working on love doesn't keep record of wrongs. And and it occurred to me that I'm never going to forget that story. You know, I, I will tell that story. Uh, but the tone of the story has changed. Instead of these guys made me do this and I'm bitter and angry, which bitterness only hurts me anyway, but I'm bitter and angry at them for making me do this, the whole tone of the story changes. So now to me, it's just this funny thing that happened to me. I could literally sleep anywhere in the world and be just fine. 
Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, just changes the narrative and doesn't hold on to the negative emotion. As you say, there's this sense that love is is all brightness, it's all wonderful, and it seems that it's so fragile, and yet you're talking about a love that is robust, that can go the distance, a love that actually deals with, with the hard issues. Was that a surprise to you, or did you expect to find that within that sense of love that you were searching out? You know, I, I figured love was deeper than what I thought it was, but I didn't realize how deep. I didn't realize how multifaceted, how fascinating, how big, huge love is. And that, you know, there are phrases out there, some from the Bible, some from Beatles songs, you know, that all you need is love and and it's what the world needs now. And God is love and love will make a way. And all of those things are true. I mean, if if you have love, everything else just falls into place. So it's really a matter of defining what we're talking about because often we talk about, well, well, love will, will conquer, love will do this, or this is all about love. And yet we're actually talking about two different things because we're talking about our concept and the person we're talking to has a different concept. So, so really your experiment was to try and find what is the true meaning of love as, as you went through this year. Were there many surprises along the way for you? Yeah, so I would say every single word was a surprise because every single word was not the first part of the chapter. The first part of the chapter when I wrote what I thought I would find, like kind. Everybody's kind. You know, you do kind things. You show kindness to people, you know, whatever. We're all kind. But love that is kind is so different than kind. Love that is kind does kind things, shows kindness, kind love, love that is kind is kind with zero expectations of receiving anything in return. Zero, you know, not a thank you, not a thank you note, not a, she went to, I went to her daughter's wedding. Why isn't she at my daughter's wedding? Or I brought them a casserole. Why aren't they bringing me some food? You know, whatever it is, nothing in return. Because the minute you want something in return for your love, the minute you want something in return, it is no longer love. It is something that you're doing because there's something that's in it for you. And with love, the only thing that's in it for you is it is such a great way to live. It's a wonderful way to live. It is so much more attractive to people. You know, if you think about the people around you and think about people that show love, those are the people you want to be around, right? But you're not loving just so people will be around you. You love because it's the thing to do. It's the right way to live. It's the way to live. We often hear people talking about love as if it's simply an emotion. And then others who talk about love that is somewhat devoid of emotion. It just has to uh, fulfill this criteria. In your mind, after living this experiment for just over a year, where does emotion fit within that description of love? Well, it's so much more than an emotion. You can get pretty emotional with love, and certainly love shows emotion, but that's really not what love is. It's not something that you lose, and emotions come and go. And love, when you're living love, real love, it doesn't come and go. It is who you are. It becomes who you are. And so 
that is how I see it different than an emotion. You know, an emotion, people fall out of love, they say, right? Real love, you never fall out of because you never fall into, you just are. And that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That we fall into love as if it's something that just happens and yet the sort of love you're describing, there's an intentionality about it. There's a desire for the betterment of the other that doesn't exist in just a a falling in or a falling out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And things in this world can be so polarized, right? You know, I live in, in the States and um, our political parties, oh my word, if you're a member of one, the other party, everybody's bad. You know, if you um, are getting vaccinated, some people think that that's bad. You know, there's vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, Republicans and Democrats. There's, you know, we drew borders on our globe, right? God didn't draw borders, but some people have different opinions about immigration, about whatever people have opinions about. And then because there's a lack of understanding of true love, there can be this thing that happens between people where they lose friendships or lose family relationships or can't get together anymore for Christmas because people believe differently than the way they believe and they you're right and they're wrong and there's no in between. And, and even to the point of name calling, you know, those people are a bunch of idiots, you know, I mean, yeah, you hear things like that all the time. Well, no, they're not. They're Rodney and Tom and Mike and Sue, you know, they're, they're people. We're, we're all people. And so love takes things from confrontation to conversation. You can be in the same room with somebody who believes differently than you do because you love, because love doesn't boast. And when you boast, when you think that you know everything that is right and true, and you know more than the next guy, then you're boasting. Nobody has a complete handle on all truth, right? So when you are saying you are dumb for the way you believe, I am smart for the way I believe, you're saying I am better than you are. I am, I rise up above you, but you don't. We all walk on the same ground. We are all created equal. And so if you love and you don't boast, your ears open up. And, and then you practice love that is patient and you can have conversation and with conversation can come some great understanding and you might not change your opinion, but it's great to understand why somebody believes the way they believe. So anybody should be able to get along with anybody if love is the center of it all. And I guess we need to decide, is love going to be the center? Is this just one of those side issues and the, the words that you're using, those those words of what love is and what love isn't, as you say, comes from a, a poem from, from many years ago, from 2,000 years ago, and is recorded in, in the Christian scriptures or, or the Bible. But there's an interesting thing that goes throughout scripture where it talks about love, where it says that the greatest thing that we could do is to throw everything we have at, at loving God. So first of all, there's that that love again. So love with our, with our mind and our soul. And then it's loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So once we've decided this is what love is, there's the 
I guess, the measure of loving is loving our neighbour, loving everyone else to the same extent as we love ourselves. So there, there's not really a get-out clause there, is there? <laughs> no, there really isn't. And it says, and you, you know, and if you define neighbour, I mean, my definition of neighbour, what I believe the definition of is, is, is everybody. You know, you, you don't exclude. Nobody's excluded. Everybody's in the club, right? It's not them and us. You get away from them and us. And so even the person who is ringing up your groceries at the grocery store, you know, to be present in the moment with them, maybe they're going through something or, or somebody runs into you with their cart in the grocery store, instead of just getting angry, because love does not easily anger as well, and instead of getting angry, realize that they might have just lost somebody close to them, or they might have just lost their job or got a bad diagnosis or who knows, or, or something, so they've had trauma in their life, or who knows why people behave a, a way they behave. Every day that we live leads us to today. And so our behaviors are based on every day that we've lived. Things happen to people. Bad things can happen to people. And if somebody's having a bad day, cut them some slack, you know, give them a break and realize that we're all allowed to have a bad day, you know, and love will see through the bad day. Love will walk through it and continue and and not judge and not condemn. I'm sure that it isn't always easy to live out all these aspects of love that you learned about, but that they all compound and just keep going. So what was the experience like when you came to the end of that period of, of living these out intentionally? Did you find that they then became part of who you are and that you've been able to to carry them forward? A hundred percent. It totally changed my life. And like you said, it, it compounded. So it was one on top of the next. So starting the year with love is patient. When I went to the next month, love is kind. I was, was practicing love is patient while learning about love that is kind and so on and so on throughout the months. And I found that I react differently. I think differently. I look at people differently than I did before, before I really understood uh, what life is really about, what love is really about. And uh, it totally changed my life. I think the principles of love, the reality of love, anybody who understands that, anybody who reads about it and recognizes it is going to realize that uh, life can be lived a different way. When we talk about love, it's it's really our interactions with others. It's how we treat others. And yet, I'm sure it actually does a great work within us when we choose to be loving, even when someone's not loving towards us, and that can be difficult. But I'm sure it changes us. What do you see as the changes within yourself as the way that you're able to just be? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. You know, I mean, there's even physical things, right, that that happen when you're not loving the right way. Like when you are harboring bitterness, you know, you can uh, shorten your lifespan, for goodness sake, with some of the things that can happen with anger in your body. But what I see is my reaction is so different. So when I'm with somebody and they point out somebody and say something negative about them. My reaction before might've been, oh yeah, I can see that, you know, whatever. But now my reaction is, well, what's going on with them? You know, or, hey, they, 
they're probably a great person who's just having a sad moment or they're whatever, you know, that, that this is who they are and uh, they're free to live who they are, you know, whatever the situation may be. As I come to people's defense, I don't like to hear any negative about anybody. I try to find the positive in every situation and in every person. I know that the book hasn't been released for, for long, but what has been the response of those who have read the book so far? Well, it's only been out for a month and uh, is already a number one bestseller and a, a number one new release. And the response has been overwhelming. I mean, I, I hoped that people would read the book just because I believe so strongly in the message, but I didn't know that it would be so wonderful. The people have are doing Bible studies. People are doing group studies uh, with a book. Um, I'm getting letters and notes from people who have read the book and talk about the changes in their life just from reading the first couple chapters. So it's been wonderful. The response has been incredible. And I'm sure as a writer, you're not going to leave things there. You're probably looking already at what's next. So do you have any plans of what the next book might be? Yes, I, I'm thinking love is for kids. Kids speak a different language sometimes. Earlier in life, you can learn the reality of love and and live it. How much better is that for you, right? And so love is for kids, I think, will be, will be my next step. And if people are wanting to find the book or to find your other writings, where's the easiest place for, for people to find you? Well, Amazon, my book is on Amazon. If you just type in love is, it pops up pretty quickly. Kim Sorrell is my name with way too many letters, <laughs> two R's, two E's, two L's. I have a website, kimsorrell.com. Um, my book in the States is in bookstores, physical bookstores, as well as online. But pretty much every bookseller online and stores uh, is selling the book. So it's pretty pretty accessible. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. I'm I'm easy to find and uh, love to connect with people. I love people. And so I love to connect with people. And I'll put details of how to find you in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find you fairly easily. But Kim, it really has been a delight to talk to you, to talk about the book, about the experience that led into it. So I want to thank you for your time and, and sharing with us here on Bleeding Daylight. Rodney, I want to thank you so much for this incredible opportunity and tell you that you are wonderful. I love your show. I've listened to episodes and everybody should make it a favorite on their podcast list. You have a wonderful show. You do a great job. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.